Welcome back to Mile High Magazine. I am Murphy Houston. We do hope your Sunday is going well. Got another interesting conversation. Gosh, I love doing Mile High Magazine. We talk about great organizations and meet some interesting people, and today is no exception. Jennifer Orego Charles. I got that right, Jennifer? You got it. Oh, I'm right on there. Uh, Executive Director of Colorado Preservation, Inc. This is a, a fascinating organization, and I hate to say this, Jennifer. I'll bet 75% of the people listening right now don't know what you guys are all about. Well, we're about to change that today, oh, we're going to we? open up some doors because we <laughs> talked to you. I guess last year we had some. Just what you people do in Colorado is so interesting and fascinating and, most of all, really needed for preservation of historical sites. And that's kind of what you're all about. It is. It is. Our organization started in 1984. We're a nonprofit, as you mentioned. Right. Uh, we're the leading nonprofit preservation advocacy organization. So we go throughout the state. We work with different communities to help them save the historic resources that are important to them. And uh, we also have a Saving Places conference that's held every year. And we have an award ceremony, the Dana Crawford Award. So really working with the public, working with the community, kind of helping them save our history. That's important to all of us. And, and readapting it, not just preservation as in it can't change, but preservation as a fulfilling a community need. Well, and the communities are involved with this, I found out. I thought, you think, ah, nobody cares about that old barn sitting out in that field. Well, let's just take it down and build something modern. But then as we talk about what you guys do, it's terribly important, not just for now, but how about grandkids and, and people down the road that need to know what Colorado's really all about? Exactly. And not just that, but also the economic benefits that come from saving and readapting a place. You know, there's so many little main streets that have, let's say, a, a vacant building that's been sitting vacant for years. But once they start working and getting some grants and using the tax credits for historic preservation, they activate that space. And suddenly you have a place where everybody wants to be. And want to see. Yes. Because of the historical significance of what took place many years ago. That's right. So you mentioned this conference. Now, 2020 is the 23rd anniversary of Colorado Preservation Saving Places Conference and the Colorado's Most Endangered Places. Talk more. I didn't know about the conference. And you, that's a yearly event. It is, yeah. We've been having it every year down uh, downtown Colorado, uh, right down in uh, Denver at the Sheridan Hotel, uh, right off of the 16th Street Mall. Right. We have it for four days. We have engaging sessions over. 100 sessions you can expect this year. We've got tours, we have workshops, and a little bit of, of everything. You know, we try to plan a conference that's good for the property owner, let's say, of a historic building that wants to know, well, you know, how do I save it? How do I research its history? How do I find out more um, to the architects and the, you know, consultants, the tradesmen that are actually doing the work? How do we bring them all together and, and, kind of promote what we have in our state. And that's what the conference is all about. It is, yes. When is it held? This year it's going to be held January 29th. That's a Wednesday through so Saturday. So that's coming, that's coming up. It is. I know. We're, we're planning uh, quite right. a bit here at our office. So how do you get the word out on that? Is it just uh, emails or is there a website? Which you do have a website. We do. It's uh, coloradopreservation.org. There's a special website for the Saving Places Conference. Uh, and a lot of it is word, by, word of mouth. You know, over the years, we've grown to be the second largest preservation conference. A lot of people don't know that it's right here in their uh, own back door. We have special rates for first-time attendees. Uh, we have special rates for students. It, it's, uh, like I said, a great way to kind of network. If you're interested in this field, it's a great way to figure out, you know, what are the different avenues within the field. 
Is it open to the public? It is. Uh, like yes. We just wanted to nose around and see what you're all about and see what they're talking about. Anybody can show up. And is there a little fee for that? I would imagine. There is. Yeah. But like I said, there's set rates, especially for property owners or um, owners that have historic buildings. And you can come for the full conference. You can come for just a tour or two. You can come from just a day. Wow, that's pretty fantastic. So give me some insight as to what they'll be talking about. What will happen at this conference? So people from all over the state, is it all over the country or just the state? It's all over the country. Yeah, yeah we had last year, well, actually not last year, this year in uh, beginning of January, we had 823 individuals join us wow. from not only Colorado, but 19 other states. So we've kind of grown this reputation, and we want to make sure Colorado knows about it and comes right. and, and joins us. So you guys are kind of like a leader in this field nationally. We are. We are. And uh, this year we are bringing in some great keynote speakers. Um, Martin Carcason, he is a, a Ph.D. with um, Colorado State University. He's going to be talking about some of the challenges with communication, right? We all know that trying to talk to people and trying to get people with different um, ideals and beliefs and values and backgrounds, that can be challenging. So how do you do that in the right way where you can get your message across and um, kind of have really productive conversations with each other? Well, what's that like? Can you describe somebody from wherever in the state has a piece of property they want to know about it? Do they know about it and now want to save it? Is, is that kind of what is discussed? They're looking for help? Well, in historic preservation, what we see a lot is there's kind of some myths that are out there. You know, a lot of people don't quite understand. If I'm listed on the National Register or on the State Register, what does that mean? Does that mean that I can't touch my project? Um, You know, can my building be torn down or is it protected? And so, you know, a lot of the times it's kind of building up that foundation first, talking about, um, you know, what they can and can't do um, with the protections that are in place, but then just kind of helping them get to a solution that they want as well. Like I said, preservation is not just about keeping something in place and not changing. It's about adapting it. Well, once in a while, I even I hear about situations where somebody wants to take a piece of property, maybe an old building, I'm going to tear it down, put up in an apartment building. Mm-hmm. And then the people in the neighborhood go, oh, no, do you know about this building? And then that gets to be somewhat of a discussion. Does that happen at this conference? Or is that legal stuff someplace else. Well, Martine is going to kind of talk about how do you have those conversations? You know, what's the right way to do it? We see that a lot in our office, especially working with Colorado's most endangered places. A lot of times there's that maybe one, a misunderstanding of why is this place important? Why should I save it? Or sometimes it's, well, there's not enough money out there. It's going to be more expensive to fix it than to just tear it down. And then when you start looking at it, sometimes that will be the case. But in other times, you know, there's different grant funding available that could make it about even. What Can you talk about some of the endangered places that Colorado should be aware of that maybe you've already saved and helped produce to be something fantastic? Yeah, well, so a little bit of of background on on how we work with some of these places. The program that we have is Colorado's Most Endangered Places. We started this in 1997, and we really kind of turned to the public and said, let us know, are there places out there that you know are threatened in, in one way or another? It could be demolition. It could be development. It could be because it's been neglected and open to the elements for, you know, 10 plus years. Let us know about these places, where they are, and we'll see which ones we can get involved. 
involved with. So since then, that's evolved to over 120 resources that we've been working with. Some are in different stages. 47 of those are saved. So you're looking at at least 70 places that we're actively working with. Um, you know, when the public kind of lets us know about some of these places, we look at how threatened it is, how important is this place, uh, what's the level of community support, because unfortunately, as you know, there are threatened oh, places oh, all yeah. over the city. You can't save every one of them. So no, no, how do we no. pick sort of the best of that have the best stories to tell that are important, not just to the local community, but all of us as uh, Coloradans? And then how do we kind of plan with them to get involved on the next level? So we actually announce our newly listed places each each year at the conference. It's our, our big reveal. We yeah. uh, work with CBS4 and we get little mini documentaries together on them. Is that because, right? Yeah, because you know a lot of the times it's it's all about the story, right? And how do you tell that story? It's not about names, dates, who lived here. It's about that progression and then you know what it can be for the future. Can you talk about that list a little bit? Are we allowed to say anything here? Is it top secret? I can tell you about some of the ones that we've been working with already. Oh, do tell. (laughs) Well, so we've been talking about historic preservation, what that means, what it doesn't. A lot of times people think it's just about buildings. That's that's all you save. And and actually it's about historic landscapes, cultural landscapes as well. So there's a great project that I'm not sure a lot of your listeners are aware of, but it's in Montezuma County. It's the Gold Medal Orchard. This is at, at one time in 1904, going back to the uh, World's Fair, they entered some of their fruit varieties and they received the gold medal for it. That's how they kind of really? came about their name. Yes. Who and, knew? <laughs> who knew? Right here in your own backyard. Yeah. Um, and so then over the time, you know, the orchard had started to die. Um, at When we started getting involved, there were maybe 10 historic heirloom variety fruit trees that were still left. Um, they, it was privately owned. There was a, a fear of, you know, with some of the development coming to that area, you know, would this be at risk? It was only down to about 6.5 acres from its, you know, original um, over 100 acres. And there was a group, a Montezuma Orchard Restoration Association, right. that thought, you know what, let's start to document some of these heirloom trees that are located throughout the county and let's start grafting them and sure. what if we had a big vision to start planting those trees in the orchard again and, so and it turns it. into a, a an orchard once again that's filled with just heirloom fruit varieties what kind of fruit i always think of apples, apples peaches yeah. maybe it, because is western slope with Palisade area peaches, so they grow those down there? Exactly. Or? All different types. And yeah. then kind of, like I said, creating an orchard once again. And then documenting the stories, doing oral histories with some of the, the farmers and the families that were still in the area talking about the different uh, varieties of fruit. How cool is that? I yeah. Mean, oh, I it's that. all about historic preservation, right? Not yeah. a building, but certainly important. So how's that going? That orchard project it's going great yeah, yeah they've actually planted half of they think they can get about 500 trees in that just six point you know a little over six acres and they've got half of them already planted they're trying to secure water rights so they're moving moving along well with all the new agricultural techniques out there i suppose it's probably easier to think about preserving that project and regrowing it and there's an interest you know lots of other states have this sort of heirloom um kind of apple connection that we really haven't seen too much of yet in colorado but once you start talking about this project people get really excited and if you're interested you can get involved in this they have grafting workshops that are held throughout the year they they sell some of the small grafted plants so you can have a uh, historic apple tree of your own and and plant it in in your own community yeah wow 
I may have to get one of those. I, you know, I, love <laughs> I would Atlas. recommend it. <laughs> yeah, is it information's on your website for that if they want to get involved yes. with a project? Yep. Go through our website and look up the Gold Medal Orchard, and then you'll have uh, areas to kind of access all the groups that are involved. So. Give me more. Give you more. Well, you're, yeah. you're intrigued. I, well, I told you before we started our little talk here, this is so fascinating. And, you know, I studied a lot of history when I went to college. I'm kind yeah. of a history person. But when it's right here and people don't know about it, you need to be educated and see what's going on out there. Because there's so many neat parts of Colorado people just don't even know about. And some of these places I'm sure your your listeners are familiar with, or at least they've passed well, they could them by. Be. Right. And one of those that we know is sort of that, that Colorado landmark is the World's Wonder Tower. It's um, kind of out near Genoa, um, right off of I-70 and Highway 24. Okay. In the early 20s, 1926, it was uh, formed as kind of a filling station and a cafe, and they put up an observation tower as one of their, you know, roadside attractions. How do we draw you in? Well... Over the years, that uh, that roadside attraction grew into kind of a, a curiosity stop as well. Why? And uh, in the 1930s, the Guinness Book of World Records actually said that you could see six states from the top of this tower. Seriously? Uh, yeah, well, you know, we've kind of <laughs> seen, I don't know if you can see all six, but you certainly six <laughs> can states. see quite a few. My gosh. Well, and the, the individual that had been running this project, he passed away, unfortunately. And oh. no one in his family really um, had that desire to kind of start it up. So the question was, what's going to happen to this local landmark? Is there a future for it? And, you know, we listed it and got involved a few years ago, and there were a group of artists that actually kind of came together and and had a vision for it. So they're trying to save it. They're beginning to restore it. We work with them to at least kind of close it up to the elements, uh, make sure, you know, the roof was okay, windows were okay, to uh, get essentially buy some more time for it. And they're looking at raising funds and trying to figure out exactly what's going to be best for this location. But Lincoln County, they've got so many great historic resources, and they're right. trying to really bring tourists out there and kind of connect them to all these places. And uh, the World's Wonder Tower is, is certainly a great one. So we'll be able to go up on the Wonder Tower? And, eventually, and, and yeah. And see if we can see again. six states? <laughs> yeah. What six states would that be? Oh, I know see. there's a lot of flat land out there. Well, but, yeah. Colorado, New Mexico, Kansas, Nebraska. Uh, not Wyoming. To be I think they did list Wyoming as one. Did they? <laughs> yeah. And not certainly Idaho or you know West. No, not Idaho. Uh, <laughs> Arizona? Could you see that far? I mean, that's crazy. Just to think about it. I don't mean to put you on the spot, no, but I'm, and I I'm think fascinated. Nebraska was the last one. Really? Well, that's that. That's a lot of looking. I know one of those uh, projects you worked on was the prisoner of war camp out in Weld County. Can you talk about that? Yeah, right outside of Greeley. You know, that's, that a, was, that's big time history. That yeah. is, yeah. And, and a lot of people might not realize that there were these prisoner of war camps that were you know kind of located exactly. in areas. And uh, we, you know, when it closed down, all that was left. A lot of them were kind of put up as temporary structures. You know, that the intent wasn't to keep it long term. Right. So when those were removed, all that was left were sort of the two pillars that marked the entrance. And when CUDOT was widening the road, you know, there wasn't a, a strong appreciation for why those should be saved. Uh, so it was threatened, and uh, our organization got involved, worked with the local community, CDOT, and um, 
built that appreciation, made them realize why we can't just tear these down. And we got them moved not too far from their original location, but um, they also put up an interpretive sign so that as people pass, now that story can be told. And they um, It's fascinating, that story. And I'm sure a lot of people don't know. And that's right in Weld County. It's not that far away from Denver. It is. Well, and I would say if anybody's interested in any of our endangered places, if you go to our website and then click on our endangered places program, you can go through and select what sites are of interest. And then we have on there those little stories that I told you that were filmed. So there may be two to three minutes, but you can kind of, um, you know, really see some of the historic photographs and hear from the people that are working on the projects and see kind of where it is now. Well, it's Jennifer Orgio Charles, Executive Director of Colorado Preservation. You know what I like best about you, Jennifer? Is your, your enthusiasm. <laughs> well, thank you. You are totally into this. <laughs> it's, it's an amazing job, and, I, and I'm so proud of the organization and the great work that we're doing. Well, you, you are doing a lot of great work. And I wanted to also talk about one that's right here at home that people don't know that you were probably involved with, and that's the State Capitol Dome. And how you guys got involved with that. Yeah, well, and you know, everybody kind of saw that it was um, redone with the gold. And essentially, that was kind of how we got involved. The idea of how do we help raise some funds to get that um, kind of put on and, and redone. And just a few years ago, that was completed. And it looks wonderful. And just the capital alone, the historical feel of the capital. When you go, if you've never been in there with your kids or the kids haven't done a school trip, it's really interesting. Yes. There's a lot of history in there as well. Yes. Well, and, you know, as you've been mentioning, we work with so many different types of resources, everything from the the Capitol Dome to one-room schoolhouses to, you know, we even have some flumes that we've worked with down in Montezuma County that kind of talks about the water story. Um, Which is always big here in Colorado, the water situation. Exactly. And, And mining structures. And, you know, the adobe potato sellers. Those were ones that we wait, listed wait, wait. last year. The what? See, that's another See, thing here people we go. might not realize. <laughs> we're full of stories. Yeah. Um, the adobe potato sellers? Yes. This okay. is San Luis Valley. Ooh, I know. So, big uh, potato country. Yeah. Exactly. A lot of people might not realize that that was a, a huge area for growing potatoes and still is today. Still is. 90% of the potatoes that are produced in the state come from that part of um, part of Colorado. Well, you know, a lot of times you, you're just driving down the road and you might see sort of a, a small structure that looks like a dugout on uh, maybe a, an earth kind of covered roof, usually made of adobe. Um, and you might not realize what that is. Well, it's it kind of a hindering really? back to this earlier time where there were these potato sellers that were created to support this industry all the way from the late 1800s up to about 1960 or so. And they um, kind of changed forms. You know, um, some are adobe, some are above ground, some are more dugout style, like I mentioned. But uh, we're trying to kind of bring awareness to these resources and then kind of work with some local property owners that are interested in having them saved and and restored and maybe select one or two that we can highlight and then survey what's left you know we think there might be over a hundred of these types of um buildings yeah exactly still in that part of the state what do they do with what did they do with them put potatoes in there yeah it, it actually how they um how they created it it left it cool inside so you could store your potatoes down there well, I suppose back in the day, 
that was the only way you could do it. You didn't, maybe didn't have refrigeration. Before I'm sure. refrigeration, <laughs> right? Sure. Well, and it's amazing. You know, when we were doing the filming and kind of going in there, they're still so insulated. It's it's much cooler in there. They, it's usually made of a, a double wall system with Adobe. Do they still use them to put potatoes in because they are that well made? A lot of them now have kind of gone to a more sure. modern structure that they're using. Sure. So sure. that's why a lot of these are just kind of line vacant. They're not sure what to do with them, especially if you've got a, a new structure that's fulfilling that need for you. Fascinating stuff. So let's talk about what I'm thinking here. What qualifies as a place you would check? What qualifies as endangered? Well, like I said, the first step is we need to hear from you. We need to yeah. hear from the public. You know, it's not just us going into a community and saying, you need to save this building. We need to hear it first that, you know, this place is important to us. Then we look at, you know, what's what's its story? What's its historical significance? How important is that story locally and then to the state as a whole? Um, we consider where it is regionally. We don't want just Denver sites. You well, know, yeah. we really right. want that statewide representation. And then we look at the type of resource it is. What What is that story? You know, like I said, we try to get a wide swath of Colorado history to sort of tell through this program the different pieces of Colorado's development and history over the years. And then we look at how threatened it is. Is it something that's, you know, going to be demolished within a year? We might not work with that because we don't have enough time. But, you know, certainly the urgency of the threat would um, make us get involved sooner. And then we look at, most importantly, that level of community support. We, um, you know, we're working with over 120 historic places that are threatened. So we really rely on that strong local advocate that we can work with. Um, And we kind of plan out what a save would look like. You know, for some of our places, a save is a full restoration and a new business going in. But for others, it might just be, let's close it up, let's buy some time, let's identify some funding um, to make sure that it's, it's not going down in the next year or two. Well, you brought up a good word, funding. That's always a big part That's of anything you do. Where, where do you get your funding? Is it a gov- are you government supported or the local community that's in the project? They provide all the funding. Well, so Colorado is incredibly lucky to have the state historical fund that's managed by History Colorado. It's essentially a percentage of the gambling um, money that comes sure. in from the three historic communities: Blackhawk, Central City, and Cripple Creek. Right. That goes into um, a big pot that essentially helps fund preservation projects throughout the state. Our program, Colorado's Most Endangered Places, and our conference actually receives a grant so that we can do this as an organization. So that's a great funder for a lot of our projects that we see. You know, they fund the majority of preservation projects that are successful throughout the state. And then I would imagine the community has to kick in some if they're involved, right? Yeah, usually there's a percentage of match that's required. But um, kind of another tool that we're trying to really uh, build uh, awareness of is the tax credit. There's a historic preservation tax credit that's available for commercial and, you know, kind of on a smaller scale residential projects. How does that work? If you provide the property, you get a tax break, basically? Yeah, essentially, you know, there's a lot of things that have to be approved in the project, but you can get a percentage in, in your taxes kind of returned and you can actually sell those credits. That's great. Now, a lot of these sites, can people just go and see them? I mean, are they 
being worked on, probably not, but but there's a lot you can see. Yeah, a lot of them are, and especially some of our save stories, you can kind of uh, see what's happened over the years. And so I would encourage you to go to our website. We kind of have a map. So if, oh, uh, a map. A whole map, so you can plan your own little road trip. You can stay at a historic hotel, maybe visit a little local diner and see some of the endangered places that are uh, either in progress or ideally saved. That would be a lot of fun. What a family summer trip that would be. Yes. Well, and you know what? If you want some help planning that trip, just give me a call and I can uh, talk you through it. Uh, I'll bet you can. That'd <laughs> <laughs> be fantastic. You know, you think about when kids go back to school in the fall, and, the, and especially in the younger grades, they go, so what did you do exciting this summer? And, you know, somebody, ah, you know, I went to a, a fair. That would be something you could really talk about. Well, and I've got one other one for you. Oh, if you want to actually work hands-on on some of these places, let us know. Send us your email and and um, usually once a summer, we'll pick one of our endangered places that, you know, needs some help. And we'll bring volunteers on site. And over a day or sometimes it's even two, you'll get to work hands-on and, and help save some of these places. That would be really fun. It's pretty fantastic. And, of course, you don't get paid, but you'll learn a lot. Definitely, yeah. And you'll meet with other people that share similar interests. You'll get to see with the... Um, the places in the local community and what they're doing. It's a, it's a really heartwarming thing to do. Oh, that would be fun to be involved with that. You guys are really on top of it. <laughs> who, who does the historical checking of a project that's been suggested? Do you guys there at the preservation go out and we better research this? We do, yeah. For especially those EPP nominations that come in uh, the endangered places, we'll we'll take a look, make sure all that information is correct before we get involved with the project. And we actually have a group of reviewers, so that's another way the public can get involved. Oh. If you have some expertise in the, in this field and you want to kind of donate some of your time, a lot of our sites are in need of um, assistance that that's um, kind of volunteered, and we'll kind of get you reviewing some of the nominations that come through. You can make your evaluations and feedback and um, get involved in the process of selection. How do you get involved? Is that on the website as well? That is. And Kim Grant is our Endangered Places Program Director, so you could reach out to him or myself. I'd be glad to have talked to him. Yes, Kim, probably. Yeah, yeah he's, he's really into it. He's he got is. some interesting <laughs> stories. So give us that website again while we're still on the topic. Sure. It's coloradopreservation.org, and Colorado is spelled out. Okay, let's go back now about the conference, because this is all new, and a lot of people didn't know it was right here and didn't know they could attend and didn't know what it was all about. Now, we know it's in January 29th, I believe. January 29th, yeah. that's a Wednesday. So, and it's downtown Denver, the Sheridan? Sheraton, yes, yeah. right off the 16th Street Mall. See, I do listen when I'm doing you know, <laughs> that stuff. So, uh, talk about it. Let's go back and talk about it while we got some time left here about the conference that's coming up and what we can do to be involved, or if you've got a house in your neighborhood and you want to get it out there people can talk about it yeah well so you know some of the sessions we when we were trying to play in this conference as i said we try to get it from all levels from beginner all the way up to advanced where you're getting aia apa credits um you know this year one of the things that we're trying that's new is roundtables. we heard that a lot of people want to network they want to talk about their projects I'll and bet. try to figure out you know what are the connections that can be made so with our roundtables, we tried to keep a really broad topic that people can bring their own projects and questions and bring that to the group. So we're going to be looking at, you know, how do you find the right contractor that's worked with preservation oh, projects that could help that you. Is. Exactly. Oh my. You know, how do you identify funding? How do you take a project from start to finish and kind of plan it out appropriately using different phases? Um, how do you use the tax credits? We'll have a whole panel of experts uh, kind of that deal with tax credits so you can bring your own questions. And then how do you 
start in the field. If you're a student that, you know, wants to learn more or, you know, maybe you're you're an individual that's looking at a career change. You know, what are the different roles within historic preservation and archaeology and planning? Um, we see a lot of certified local government representatives. You really? Know, lots of community leaders come to the conference because it's a great way for them to kind of bring their staff up to speed and in, in, um, kind of a field that's important to planning, of course. What about, uh, give me, can you give me some ideas that come in from other states? I mean, if they're that intrigued and you guys are doing such a fantastic job and they want to pick your brains, has there been anything big that we might be aware of on a national level that you've helped preserve? I know that's putting you on the spot. Yeah, yeah. well, just trying to think, you know, um, locally in Colorado, we certainly have nationally significant places that we've worked with. Um, one of them is Amache. That's um, kind of lower part of the state and it was a internment camp for Japanese Americans right and similar to the POW camp right. you know when it closed down the buildings were removed everything was kind of taken off site and all that remained were really these foundations um, so anybody just passing by if you weren't from the area you wouldn't know that story so we work the National Park Service we work with the local community John Harper um, the Amache Preservation Society. And at this point, we've gotten a few interpretive panels up so you can kind of do a, a driving tour and see what would have been there. We actually brought one of the buildings that we discovered was in town. It still had its uh, stencil decal on its location. Really? So we moved it. It was a, it was a great thing to see. We moved it placed it back on its original foundation, and it was the rec hall. So we're going to interpret it back, um, kind of bring it back to that rec hall so sure. people can kind of see what it would have been like. Uh, we recreated the uh, the guard tower. Um, we found the old water tower on a farmer's ranch, and we wow. were able – it was kind of in pieces, and we got a grant and were able to restore it. So that's in place now. Um, we recreated – so it's, it's not historic, but it's to the historic detail um, – one of the barracks. And so, you know, the idea is people will be able to go in and really – experience what what it was like for uh well it was very controversial yeah because these were japanese americans during world war ii that they just threw in that internment camp for no apparent reason because they just had a japanese heritage and boy that was in fact i had a friend that was there that mm. uh was from the weld county area and he's now passed but he would tell us stories when he was a kid he was in there it was like unbelievable yeah well and and there's a pilgrimage an annual pilgrimage there that you know it's, yeah, it's, it's open to the public it's and so huge. if you want to be a part of that that story uh, i would encourage you to look it up well jennifer you've done a great job well, i love you. your work right there at the colorado preservation uh, folks and again uh, give us your website so people can check it out colorado spelled out preservation.org Thanks for coming in today. Thank you. You know, keep us posted on some new projects, would you? We will. Hope to see you at the conference. Well, you know, you might just see my (laughs) ugly face out at that conference. (laughs) Nosing around to see what's going on. And you guys ought to check it out, too, because, after all, it is Colorado. Thanks for listening. I'm Murphy Houston. This is Mile High Magazine. Enjoy the rest of your weekend.